The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. It won't be long. Your life will pass by as a vapor and you will stand before the judgment seat of God. And every secret deed and thought Every wrinkle, every spot will be in view Before the one who knows all things The Lord of Lord and King of Kings You know the one you never knew While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is the shelter from the coming storm All creation shakes at the mention of his name He has power over life and death Every knee will bow and tongue confess Heaven and earth will proclaim That Jesus Christ is Lord To the glory of the Father will you bow Will you surrender He can save you from the might of all your sin This is the fight in which He stands In perfect victory While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come Sheltered from the coming storm While you have breath 
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Please do not dismiss lightly what the scriptures will say to you today. Do not dismiss lightly what the scriptures will share with you today. We face a real crisis in the American Christian Church, and that crisis is primarily centered around the issue of an intellectualized gospel that is then interpreted in any way we might happen to choose, and so it has a rubber nose. We can twist the rubber nose any direction we choose, and the American church does just that. We are not saved by rituals. We are not saved by tradition. We are saved only by one and one thing only. The precious blood of Jesus shed on Calvary. But it will require some intense understanding on your part for how to access that precious blood. I want to start today by showing you a problem in the scriptures and then explaining what that problem results in. I have read this NIV many times. I've read it from Genesis to Revelation until my Bible is pretty well beat up and worn out and I'm looking for another one. But in the reading of it, there were certain things that threw me off that I did not understand. And because I did not understand... I was deceived. I don't want you to be deceived. You are responsible today for what I'm going to share with you. It's not that Pastor Ray is somebody. I'm nobody. I'm going to simply share with you the scriptures. And I'm going to attempt to try to help you understand the implications for how you live For to me, the end result is, if you don't live a righteous life, if you are not made righteous by faith in the blood of Jesus, 
you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And you will be shut out. Let's begin in Romans, the second chapter. Romans, the second chapter. I'll begin with verse 12. Romans 2, verse 12. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the word who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. And the word declared is dikasune, and it is appropriately translated here, declared, because in the Old Testament, the blood of bulls could not remove sin. I'll read that for you in Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Hebrews, the 10th chapter. I'll begin with verse 3. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin, because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Impossible. So, I want to be very clear with you. I'm going to lay out a difference, a significant life-saving difference between the blood of bulls and goats and the blood of Jesus Christ. They do two totally different things. And if you don't understand the difference between justified, a legal statement, and made righteous, you will not enter the kingdom of God. If you don't understand the difference between declared righteous and made righteous, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Many of you, I found as I speak with you, believe that the word justification means just as if I had never sinned. Meaning, I'm justified, all of my past sins are forgiven, I'm good to go, I'm on my way to heaven. Not so. Let me explain. I've read to you Romans, the second chapter, for it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. But then let's turn the page to the third chapter of Romans. I'll begin reading with verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. 
Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Well, wait a minute. They're saying two different things. There's disagreement between these two passages of Scripture. One says you must obey the law and you'll be declared righteous. You'll be justified. The next one says therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. And I'd read that and I'd say I don't understand. One place it says you must keep the law to be righteous. The next place says you cannot be made righteous by observing the law. Then how am I to be made righteous? I cannot enter the kingdom of God without being made righteous. Can I just say an aside to you, please? The utmost concern of my heart all of my life. And it's why I chose to be a pastor, to respond to the call of God. It's why I have spent years searching the scriptures and praying and trying to understand what I'm going to share with you today. Please hear, please understand. The translation is incorrect. If you go to other Bibles, other than the NIV, most of them will be also incorrect. They are saying two opposite things. And so I throw up my hands and say, it doesn't make sense to me. I just have to trust I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. Everything is good to go. No, it's not. No, it's not. Let me read this for you again. Therefore, no one will be not declared. In the New Testament, dikiu means made righteous. Therefore, no one will be made righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. In other words, I can't be made righteous by keeping the law. Romans, the first chapter, says that righteousness now comes from another source. comes from Jesus. So I cannot be declared righteous today. And the modern teaching in the modern church is that I am declared righteous. I am declared justified. I don't want to be declared righteous. To enter into heaven's gate, I must be made righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. This is not a game. This is your salvation. If you consider yourself 
to be declared righteous, you are still under the law. And you have reduced the blood of Jesus Christ to that of bulls and lambs. You have trampled on the blood of Jesus. Therefore, no one will be made righteous in the sight by observing the law. I cannot be made righteous by observing the law. Righteousness comes from another source. Rather, through the law, I become conscious of my sin. And it drives me to Jesus. Now, please, I'm not talking about a casual, laid-back relationship with God. I'm talking about a total giving over of myself to Jesus. I know that as soon as I make the decision that I will give myself over to Jesus, the devil is going to try to trip me up. And as soon as he trips me up, he's going to point his condemning finger at me and see, and say, See, you can't keep the law. Well, you know what I tell Mr. Devil? Mr. Devil, I can't keep the law. You're right on. But by the blood of Jesus Christ, I've been washed and cleansed. And by his power, I can walk in holiness. Now, there are a couple more scriptures I want to take us to, please. We've already been to Hebrews, the 10th chapter. But let's go there again, beginning in verse 1. Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never by the same sacrifice repeated endlessly year after year make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, they would have stopped being offered, for the worshipers have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. No, they were declared righteous in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament you are made righteous by the blood of Jesus. That's why when we come to Romans, the 10th chapter, verse 18, and where these have been forgiven, that is, where my sins have been forgiven, and where God has written his covenant in my heart, he's written his laws in my heart. It says there's no longer any sacrifice for sin. Why is there no longer any sacrifice for sin? Because I'm no longer walking in sin. 
I've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. I am totally given over to him. I recognize that the world has nothing for me. I have left the world, the flesh, and the devil. I no longer pursue the lust of the flesh or the pride of life. Those things are all put behind me. Therefore, brother, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Just a side note, if you're sitting at home watching the television, you're missing out on what God has for you. If you think you can worship online, you've missed what God has for you. Verse 26, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It's mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We are coming to a time of great judgment in America. Coming to a time of great pain and anguish. Now I know there are some who are preaching, Oh no, Pastor, we're coming into a wonderful time of revival and resurgence. We're coming into a wonderful time of signs and wonders and miracles and the mighty power of God is going to be poured out. Yes, I believe that we're coming into a time of repentance and revival. But let me draw some distinctions between what I mean when I say revival and what many of the modern prophets mean when they say revival. Many of the modern prophets mean the same thing that Jeremiah had to deal with as the Babylonians were closing in on Jerusalem. The prophets were saying within one year, Nebuchadnezzar will be defeated 
He will go back to Babylon and he will return the people and he will return all of the objects of worship. No, that's not what was going to happen. Let me be very plain. Revival to me, as I understand the scripture and as I understand the history of revival, revival means repent. Deep, deep repentance. Where everything that has blocked my way for God is removed. All sins are washed away by the blood. All lifestyle sins are washed away by the blood. And then the second part of revival is a lifestyle of holiness, of joyfully serving Jesus Christ, being given over to him totally and completely. Now, many who speak of revival today mean signs and wonders and dancing and laughter. And Well, I think that is a part of revival, but I think it's only a part after the repentance has been accomplished. And we've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. And a determination has been made in the heart to walk holy before God, to be made righteous. Now, I want to turn to another scripture. It's over here in the book of Acts. Acts, the 13th chapter. Verse 38, Acts 13, verse 38. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. I have to stop and recognize that this is not a correct translation. I wish that the Bibles that we had today were correct translations. But even the King James Version has mistakes in it. But we've got to go beyond that. We've got to begin to understand by the direction of the Spirit what is being said. The word for forgiveness here is aphemy. Aphemy. I shared yesterday with you the word to forgive is used amongst us as a legal term. It says, you've wronged me. I recognize what you've done. I recognize the extent of what you've done. And I forgive you. I don't hold a grudge. I forgive you. But when Jesus comes, this is not what forgiveness is. It's much more than that. When Jesus comes, the forgiveness is the removal, the taking away from us the sin. I shared with you yesterday the the illustration of this coffee cup. 
I can set it on the desk. Now, if if Jesus forgives me for these sins, he does something. He picks up this cup of iniquity from my life and he removes it from me as far as the east is from the west. So this passage of scripture should really be interpreted as, therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the removal of sins is proclaimed to you. The removal of sins. Yes, I'm forgiven. But much more than forgiven, the sins are utterly removed from my life. I no longer am under the condemnation. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the sin has been removed from my life. He goes on. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Wrong. Justified here is dikiu. Everyone who believes is made righteous from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Justify is a a legal term. It is not a regenerative term. What do I mean to regenerate? Well, if my arm is cut off, and then my arm is regenerated, what does it mean? It means that my arm grows back in fullness. There is no regeneration under justification in the Old Testament. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that regenerates us. And so this should be translated Let me read it for you with the appropriate translation. I want you to know that through Jesus, the removal of sins is proclaimed to you. I come to you proclaiming Jesus Christ, by his shed blood, will remove all of your sin. Through him, everyone who believes is made righteous from everything that could not be justified by the law of Moses. In other words, the law of Moses could not justify a man and make him righteous. It simply declared him righteous. And his sins were not removed and not forgiven until Jesus Christ died on Calvary. And when Jesus died on Calvary, those sins were forgiven retroactively. We live in the gospel day. We don't live in the old covenant. We live in the new covenant. And the new covenant says that Jesus will remove my sins and he will make me righteous. Now in the time we have left, 
I'd like to take you back to the book of John. I haven't deserted John. We just needed some background to be able to deal honestly with the text. Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives with his disciples. They are dry camping on the mountain. They don't stay at the King David Hotel. They're going to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appears again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down with them and began to teach them. Why would he sit down? Well, because in that day, the teacher was to sit in the chair of Moses and was to teach them. So Jesus sits down, obviously taking the chair of Moses, and he begins to teach them about the new covenant and the new way of life in him. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees bring in a woman caught in adultery. This woman caught in the act of sin, of adultery. They drag her out of that warm bed. She probably still has only night clothes on, and now she's probably been allowed to throw a a wrap around her for modesty's sake. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? You claim to be God. Okay, this is your law. Make a decision. Shall we stone her? They're obviously using this question as a trap. They're trying to create, in some way, a basis for accusing him before Rome that he is taking capital punishment to himself or he's letting the woman off and so he's he's easy on crime they're trying to discredit him so Jesus as he's seated bends down and he begins to write on the ground with his finger It's interesting to me that men want to write their words in marble. Jesus just wanted to write his words in the dust of the earth. They keep on questioning him. He straightens up and he says to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Look, he says, from the eldest to the youngest. Maybe he put their names down in the dust and then beside them begins to write the names of women that these men have been with, the crimes these men have committed. And as he does this, as they're craning their necks to see what he is writing. They begin to walk away one at a time, the older ones first. Jesus finally straightens up. The crowd of condemners 
is gone. And he says to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now, we need to understand what's being said here. He's saying, I'm not going to condemn you either. He is not saying it's legitimate to commit adultery. He recognizes the wickedness of what this woman has done. He recognizes the wickedness of what you and I have done. We are all this woman standing before Jesus Christ. We have all sinned against him. I want to try to read something to you. See if I can find it quickly. I wasn't going to share this with you, but it's it's from one of our listeners. Mm. This is what he wrote to me yesterday. I've been ravished by the devil. I believe he's left me to that. I'm kidding myself. I'm still in sin. I've got nothing to offer to Jesus. I'm ashamed before him. I am full of it. There's no truth in me. I wrote to him, Not so. The devil is lying to you. Jesus' blood will set you free. Don't believe the devil's lies. This is a man desperate to get to Jesus who recognizes his sin. That's the first step in coming to Jesus and getting very serious and humbling our hearts before him. This woman... She stood there in grave danger of being stoned to death. And Jesus says, Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And Jesus answered, Then neither do I condemn you. I want you to hear that the first thing the devil will do when he comes to you is condemn you. We must come to Jesus as we are, with all of our sin, all of our weakness. We come to Jesus just like we are. We don't clean up before we come. How do you think Peter felt when he denied Jesus those three times? And Jesus looks at him as he is being so poorly treated beaten, spit upon. And Peter says, I don't know that man. Denying him three times. says, Peter went out and wept bitterly. That was the right choice for Peter. Judas went out and hung himself. That's the wrong choice. (laughs) Do you hear what I'm saying? 
we can be made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to hear the rest of what Jesus said to this woman. Go now and leave your life of sin. Most of us don't have just one sin that we walk in. Most of us have been caught in a lifestyle of sin that we have somehow approved of for ourselves. Lust for money, lust for power, lust for recognition, lust for ownership of stuff, sexual lust, unclean, indecent lust. We're human. We're men. We're women. All of these are a part of our lives until we come to Jesus. And he says to us, okay, leave your life of sin and come to me. Leave your life of sin. You see, I've shared with you today that our sin can be wiped away. Not just in make-believe, but in reality. Jesus will forgive you if you will humble your heart sufficiently to come to him and admit what you have done and what you have not done and cast yourself upon him in his blood. He will forgive you. And he will remove that sin from your heart and from your life. Most of us have a lifestyle. And that lifestyle is made up of our ways. What we like, what we don't like, where we go, where we don't go. How we expect to be treated. We have to come to Jesus and bring all of that with us and he'll sort through it and he'll throw away the bad fish and he'll keep the good. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light. Jesus does not just forgive us for our sins. He removes our sins. Jesus does not declare us righteous. Jesus makes us righteous. Are you made righteous today? Are you still living in your lifestyle of comfortable sin? casual, laid back? Or do you stand for something? Have you laid your life on the line so that there is nothing casual about where you stand and how you function? You know that it is life and death that you face. 
and you must make the decision to turn away from your lifestyle of sin and not go back to that warm bed where that woman is welcoming is being welcomed by that man you you cut off by the power of the blood of Jesus you cut off that sin and you say no and that comes out of deep prayer and confession and waiting upon God. I spoke with a brother this morning. He said the hardest part he has is waiting on God. He's right. You have to wait on God to be made righteous. It takes time. It takes honest confession. It takes honest agreement with God about my lifestyle and then a change, a total change in what I like and what I don't like, where I go and what I do, what I watch, what I fill my mind and my heart with, I have to make a change. Remember, Jesus said to the man at the pool of Bethesda, after he found him in the temple, he said to the man, you must leave your life of sin or something worse may happen to you. 38 years laying as an invalid beside that pool is not bad enough. Oh, my brother, my sister. Examine carefully the pride of your heart, the arrogance of your spirit. Humble your heart before Almighty God. Recognize that He is calling you to leave that life of sin. And Acts 13, verse 38, Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus the removal of sins is proclaimed. Through him, everyone who believes is made righteous. That is, the power of the Holy Spirit comes into your heart and into your life, and he changes you. This is not self-help. Every person who turns to Jesus and is born again is a miracle of God from on high. This is not being born out of the will of man, out of the will of the flesh. This is being born out of God. That's what he wants for you. He wants you to be born in the Spirit. Well, that's as far as I'm going to go today. Tomorrow we're going to go further in the book of John. But I do want to read one last scripture. The 8th chapter, verse 34. I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family. But a son belongs to it forever. So if the Son sets you free, 
you will be free indeed. Jesus today wants to set you free of your lifestyle of sin. He wants to release you from this place of wickedness, of casualness, of laid back, of of going after what you want. He wants to set you free. He wants to make you righteous. It begins with heartbroken repentance before his throne, where you admit who you are, what you've done, the darkness of your heart. You lay it all out before God, and you ask him to give you a new birth. And you may have to wait a while because God wants to know if you're serious. Let me pray with you. Lord Jesus, your kindness is so overwhelming. Your mercy and your grace. Lord, we have not in this modern age understood the gospel. We've not understood. We have, we have used words that we had no idea what they meant. Lord, I don't want to be justified before you. I want to be made righteous before you. I know that when I'm made righteous, my past sins are forgiven. And I know that I'm transformed and changed into your likeness. That's what I want. I want to be like you, Jesus. That when I see you, I will be like you. Lord, please come and minister to our hearts today. Oh, Lord, break our hearts before you. Remove our sin. Lord, redeem us by your blood. Thank you, Jesus. Turn us from this wicked way. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your name. Amen. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel. National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I want to thank my sister from California for her wonderful gift yesterday to this broadcast. And many others of you, I hope you will step in because we're a long way yet from having the money to cover this month's radio broadcast. I trust Jesus. I trust what he's doing in you. And I ask you to give hilariously according to Jesus' command to you and cheerfully. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Nationalprayerchapel, one word, dot com. And there you'll find this broadcast and many other podcasts and YouTube videos that will be very helpful to you in this journey with Jesus, in this school of the Holy Spirit.
God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Mr. Producer, how much time do we have left? We now have two minutes. Well, I'm going to use that two minutes. Lord Jesus, we have two minutes, and I'm going to use that time to cry out to you, Jesus, and say, Lord, there are many who have listened to this broadcast and who will be listening later. And I'm asking for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to move in them. I ask that they would completely leave a lifestyle of sin, if that be the case for them, that they would lay aside every unclean thing, that they would not play with any darkness, that they would turn aside from the wicked movies, that they would turn aside from the wicked entertainment of our world, that, Lord, you would have your way, and by your Spirit you would lead each one into righteousness and into holiness. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. From falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. With great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to Present you blameless before the presence of his glory.